Hi, hi everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford. I am here as usual with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And this week I have a new friend that we're talking to. Say hi, Ryan. Hi, everyone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you and talk about our cool animal for today, which is a really awesome one that I think a lot of people probably know about generally, like are aware that it exists, but maybe don't know a lot of information about it. So a cool learning opportunity. But first off, let's learn about you. Can you introduce yourself a little bit to our friends? Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, My name is Ryan Hegseth. I'm a marine biologist. I graduated from Florida Southern College down in Florida, of course. And uh, I have a specific field focus on behavioral ecology. So that's why animals act the way they do in their environment and like how that behavior like helps them survive. I, I have a lot of past experience with exotic animals such as like uh, monkeys, reptiles, sharks and rays, and even an octopus that I worked with for like four months. Um, and I've done a lot of behavioral training with those animals as well. Also, uh, I guess I could say I'm an avid photographer. I shoot a lot of photography for animals and stuff like that too. Awesome. So what kind of setting has your experience with these animals been in? Has it been like in personal or professional? Like what what kind of setting are you working with animals in? I guess a, a bit of both. I guess the behavioral training stuff started. Um, I, I was working an internship um, with my uh, wonderful professor. Shout out Dr. Christy Wolovich. She got me this uh, working in this internship where we were working with the only true nocturnal um, monkey, owl monkeys. And we were doing, um, I won't go into like the super like heavy science mumbo jumbo, but basically we needed samples from a gland on these monkeys. And the gland is at the base of their tail. And to get that sample, you have to swab the tail. And so they need to be um, taught that this isn't an awful thing that's happening. Like we weren't, <laughs> Our goal was to not like pin them down or do anything like that. We wanted them to just totally be okay with us like going in there and swapping the gland. And so I was working with uh, Dr. Wolovich and a couple of the other uh, keepers there at this zoo that we were working at to train them to be okay with like some human interaction and to understand that, you know, this is like not invasive and that if you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. Sounds like some trust building. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's a lot of like what behavioral training is with any animal like I've done. I've done a lot of behavioral work with um, snakes and even sharks and rays, which is like weird. You don't think you can like train sharks and rays like the way you can like cats and dogs and like you can't really but like, they learn, they like learn behaviors that you can like incentivize through like positive reinforcement. Yeah, I, I worked with those monkeys for a good while. I've done a lot of work habitualizing, or, or that's what it would be called. Like you build this like habit um, with them. Uh, so I've worked with reptiles before, habitualizing them to like human interaction and not being so like I guess aggressive would be the word. Uh, I worked with uh, with an octopus, like I said, for four months. This uh, little uh, goofball named Octavius, and oh, uh, yeah, that's so perfect. He was real cute, and he was really, really touchy, grabby uh, in the beginning to the point where, like, you know, you would reach into the water and he would grab onto you and not let go for, like, 20 minutes. Was he being curious or aggressive? Or, like, what was that about? Like an aggressive curiousness. Uh, he was very <laughs> little, very young. And 
uh, octopods are really cool, especially uh, he was a uh, giant Pacific octopus. And they can actually recognize individuals based off of their taste. And the way octopods taste is through their suction cups. So Ooh. he actually grew to recognize me and would recognize that I feed him and I play with him. Um, and so he would get really excited. And over the course of like four months, I was able to train down that like latching on behavior down to like when he grabs onto someone at most, he'll hold on for like 20 seconds. And then he like knows to like, okay, I don't want to hold on. But I remember I was doing a show with him right in the beginning of when I had started training him. And he decided that show was one of those instances when he was going to hold on <laughs> to my arm for like 20 minutes, which like I'm okay with. I knew he wasn't going to do anything to me. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have the capacity to harm me. I always try to make that distinction very clear. Just because an animal doesn't bite you doesn't mean it can't. Anything with a mouth can bite you. And they got a little beak in there, right? Oh, oh yeah, that thing will, uh, that can mess you up. Uh, they don't typically like attack like humans or bite humans, but if they chose to, boy, oh boy, would I not, I not want to be the person being bit. Um, <laughs> I like the idea that like he grabs onto your arm. And he's like, oh, it's Ryan. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, and the funny part is like with the suction cup is it leaves like little, uh, little suction cup marks all the way up like your arm. Does it leave hickeys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it leaves. I, I like spent that day and I just had like 80 hickeys running up my arm and I go home that night. And my girlfriend, like, jokingly is like, what is that? What happened? I'm like, I swear, it was an octopus, I swear. Mm, very convenient. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I love that. I love octopods, by the way. Like, amazing, very fascinating. So, like, almost alien, but mm -hmm. also in a weird way kind of relatable. Yeah, very intelligent, too. They have personalities. Uh, Octavius, he... So he would play this game where, like, he would try to see how far he could crawl up my arm, which is, like, a behavior that I'm trying to tame down at the point. Um, <laughs> and octopods are able to spit water at people. Um, and it's been categorized that they've done that before with people that they don't typically like. Uh, in like like controlled experiment rooms so i don't really take that as him not liking me because what would happen is he would spit this huge geyser of water at me that would just like soak me and i'm like giving a presentation at the same time too so it would kind of <laughs> like throw me off my rhythm a little bit and that would cause me to like kind of loosen my arm a bit and then he would like get like some like gain on me and crawl further up my arm so he like made this connection of oh when i spit water at ryan he uh messes up and i'm able to get more of a more of a hand on him and crawl further up his arm and so it kind of like turned into what i i think it was kind of like a game for him and he like made that connection that oh i can crawl up him farther who knows maybe he actually <laughs> did just like hate me <laughs> i try to not think it's not that because that you know I want to feel bad about that. No bummers. <laughs> like, I don't want to feel like he hates me because, you know, I spent like five months with him. But um, when I do go back there, I went back there a couple months ago and I went down and I uh, interacted with him and he got like super excited. His color like flared up and I was like, oh, cool. He still remembers me. Oh, that's the cutest thing I've yeah. ever heard. 
sweetheart. I love that. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. He was so excited to see you. Oh, my heart melted. <laughs> so this week we're not talking about um, the giant Pacific octopus, yeah. even though I've fallen we in not. love. We're not. We can talk about this specific octopus all we want. Um, <laughs> but this week we're talking about hammerhead sharks. And I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. So can you introduce us a little bit to the hammerhead shark? All right. So yeah, the hammerhead shark. I'm going to talk about hammerhead sharks. I know specifically I'm going to go into the scalloped hammerhead shark, uh, Safirna Lowini, because uh, that's my personal favorite of uh, any animal. But yeah, hammerhead sharks are, they're like sharks, but what really distinctifies them from other sharks is that big head region that we call the cephalofoil. And so it's like this very like flat piece. Their eyes are very spaced out and their noses are like right in front of their eyes or nostrils. And that's like what makes them distinct from other sharks is mainly that cephalofoil like head piece. Yeah, like you know it when you see it. Although it is different from, this is actually something I learned embarrassingly recently. They're different from bonnet head sharks. Yes. So there's the bonnet heads, which are like the little ones but they're mm-hmm. easy to i think mistake that like head shape yeah it like again there i think i, I don't know for sure i uh, i want to say anything because uh I, I know you recently talked about this with uh dr mcdonald right Catherine mm-hmm. mcdonald yeah we mentioned bonnet heads yeah yeah and but yeah they're they're slightly different um there's so many different variations of hammerhead sharks uh, more than i think people know of like there's um uh again the scalloped hammerhead shark is my favorite but i think like a close second would be called a winghead shark are these like names references to like the shapes of their heads or are there other things that are setting them apart yeah uh the winghead shark specifically uh if you look up a picture of it think of like if you took just like a drag tool and like Photoshop and you go to the cephalofoil on a hammerhead and then you just like elongate it, <laughs> like really like double it. And that's what winghead sharks look like. And they're around. They're pretty small, too, for a hammerhead shark. Um, So they're like tiny. And then they have this huge cephalofoil. Uh, super cute if you think that's cute. Um, I've <laughs> had many people talk about how they think hammerhead sharks are so ugly. And I try to not get too offended by that. Ugly is way too strong a word. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think that they have their flattering and non-flattering angles. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. But we we could talk about that in the aesthetic section. So before we get into that, if this is your first time listening to Just the Zoo of Us, we review animals by rating them out of 10 in three categories. And our first category is effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptations that let an animal do a really good job of the things that it's trying to do. So the hammerhead shark is a predator. So this might be things like things built into its body that let it find and catch its prey. So what do you give the scalloped hammerhead shark for effectiveness? You know, I want to be I want to be biased, but I got to go. And like this is kind of um, with that like question, you come to most animals and animals fit into this thing called a a niche, right? Mm -hmm. Or a niche, um, which is sort of like how. It fits this role in a environment, a habitat, or an ecosystem that others can't fit. So, like for example, like a wolf fits the niche of the. It's like a top tier predator. It hunts 
deer and it keeps the deer population in control so that disease doesn't spread and that they don't eat all of the food that the other animals need to survive it fills that like niche and to fill a niche you need the qualities that allow you to do what you can do and most animals when they fill that role that means that they've become like i guess like professionals or like they're the best at what they do and that's why they fill that niche of course Mm -hmm. there's like animals that you know completely just like i i I struggle to understand how they're still alive (laughs) like you know the pandas for example i won't go on a pandas oh we'll dunk on pandas all day long yeah god pandas um but (laughs) For uh, the sharks' effectiveness, I I have to go 10 out of 10. You can't not. Exactly. They're incredible. They have so many of these, like, physical traits and adaptations that just, like, exemplify them as, like, keystone, like, predators. They're not keystone species. That's, I think that's an important uh, distinction to make. Um, But they have all these, um, I I can go into each one. So I I talked about the cephalofoil, um, which is that big, like, elongated head. And they have stuff like the uh, ampullae of Lorenzini. They have the, uh, all fish and sharks have the hyomandibula bone. There's just so much of this stuff that goes into it. And I think for biology, what that leads into is this really interesting idea of uh, systematics. And so systematics is kind of the idea of why over the course of evolution, um, this trait or abnormality that appeared, why that trait allowed the individuals that have that trait to better survive and outcompete the individuals of that species that didn't so for the hammerhead shark an example they at some point in their evolutionary line they did not have this big long hammer shaped head they were just like a shark like the rest and at one point this trait started to appear and the individuals that had that trait were able to outcompete the individuals that didn't and as time moved on this trait became more pronounced and got them to the point where they're a hammerhead shark like we know them today one of the like the questions with systematics is like well why did that happen like what pushes this trait um and i think for hammerhead sharks one of the main reasons i'll go into why they have this head shape um but the the first one that comes to mind is the ampullae of lorenzini or ampulla all sharks have this characteristic this uh ampullae of lorenzini or i'm i think all sharks do the ampulla of Lorenzini are these tiny pores on like the bottom side of their like snout, I guess you could call it. The snoot. It's okay. You can say it. The snoot. Snoot. So they have these little pores that work in like a- electroreception and can even, um, in the hammerheads and some other sharks can even sense like magnetic energy, basically. And this is kind of where the whole like sharks can smell blood from miles away. It, it comes through the ampulla of Lorenzini through that the this electroreception. It's super developed and super intense and really helps them find their prey specifics. So with this hammer shaped head, the more surface area you have on the snoot or the hammer part, the underside of the hammer part, the more of these 
uh, ampulla of Lorenzini's you can have, which increases their ability to find prey. It's like a radar dish almost. <laughs> like just yeah, a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a big old homing beacon right on the front of their the face. The, dish, the more you can pick up. Yeah, exactly. They also use the uh, cephalofoil. So one of the things they'll do, and we'll uh, when we get to behavior, I'll talk about that. But they swim pretty close to the sand, and they will go after prey specifics that are like buried under the sand, like mollusks or rays. They go after rays a lot, and those things bury themselves under the sand, so they need to be able to sense them under the sand, and then they'll actually use their cephalofoil um, or their headpiece to pin them down into the sand while they go after them and eat them. I, I was thinking that, like, I know we call it a hammerhead, but I've always kind of felt like it looks like a shovel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. That's- that makes sense, especially if they're if they're looking for rays that are under the sand. They're kind of like metal detector, like sweeping. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Uh, almost all hammerhead sharks uh, have close to almost three hundred sixty degree vision, so they can almost see completely around their body due to the cephalofoil, like widening their eyes out so far. They uh, even with some species, they're like the eyesight like crosses over in the front, almost does in the back. So it gives us the this huge range of vision all around them and that allows them to make these like huge turns so like if a ray like shoots out of the water behind them or whatever they'll probably see that and it allows them to make these like wide turns and go after them real quick wow we talked about this with uh well something similar with the whale shark how it has those Mm -hmm. eyes like on the side of the head yeah which i think is different from how you see predators on land because when you see predators on land they have those eyes that are like in the front of the head but these Mm -hmm. predators in the water have gone in the other direction and they've got the eyes on the side of the head so i think that's pretty cool yeah, evolution is nuts. Um, there's there's just so many of these like characteristics. I think I don't know if you guys have talked about it yet. I, I've listened to a lot of the marine ones. Uh, have you guys ever talked about the lateral line system? I talked about the lateral line system with the piranhas, and that was my ah. first time ever. It was very recently, and it was my first time ever hearing about the lateral line system. So I know very little about it. <laughs> it's such a cool system. It's it, it's actually important to um, not as important to most schooling fish, but with the lateral line. I'll, I'll give like a quick definition it's kind of like you, you know when you see those huge like schools of fish and maybe like dolphins are going after them and they'll all move in like tandem at the same time to dodge these dolphins or whenever birds fly into the water and it's like it's like a dance it's like they choreographed it or something mm-hmm. um, and they do it so effortlessly and the way they do that is they have these um, and you can see it on most sharks and on most fish, there might be like some coloration differences in the scales, but they have this line running down the sides of their body. And what this line is, is it's this very like tiny hollow tube that runs down their body and is connected to a bunch of nerves that go to their brain. And this tube has tiny holes in it, like running down the whole tube. And in between each of those holes inside that tube, there's like a little like feather flap. So water passes through into this tube and then brushes that feather flap. And when that happens, it sends a signal to the brain that, oh, the water there has moved near me and something's over there. So you get to all these fish swimming together. And when your buddy moves to the right of you, you feel that in the water and you like jerk reaction move with him. And that's how they're all able to move together. It's this really cool system that's just like evolved over time to be so like defined and allow them to do so many cool things to help them survive or 
hunt prey uh in sharks for example they use it mostly to hunt prey while a lot of fish use it to dodge out of predators ways that's almost like machinery yeah exactly it makes them like it makes it seem like they're just like robots mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's the same thing like balance in our brains like with our um is it our cerebellum i want to i want to say <laughs> i'm not sure I used to be a psych major along with a marine bio major, but it's been so long since I took like brain stuff. Um, but yeah, like, so like balance in our head, like we don't think about it. It's not something we have to think about. We just do it. And it's like that for them too. Like they just know, like it's, it's just this like extra sense that they have. Oh man, fish are overpowered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They are. The next thing I wanted to ask about for the hammerhead, because I think what a lot of people instinctively think of when they think of sharks is they think of their teeth. But with the hammerhead, the mouth is like underneath that big old Mm -hmm. schnoz, right? Like the mouth is like on the bottom. Yeah. So what is their tooth situation like under there? Oh gosh. I mean, like with all sharks, they have a lot of teeth and like that, they it can differentiate based off of the species of hammerhead. Like all sharks, they have these rows of teeth. I don't think it's hooked like I think they're serrated and teeth with sharks is just the weirdest thing. Cause I you know you and Dr. <laughs> McDonald talked about it, but sharks, uh their skin is made of teeth. Um <laughs> if you were scared of sharks before that, uh that might horrify you to know as well very interesting but yeah so they have their mouths on the bottom side of this cephalofoil which again plays into the fact that they are typically hunting in the sand looking for prey items down there so it helps them to have their mouth there because they're able to pin things with their headpiece and then they're able to eat it it's like the same thing that you see with like rays right so their mouth is on the bottom side of their body because they're typically going over to uh their prey which is on the bottom which might be like crabs or mollusks and so their mouth needs to be the closest to where the prey will be um and they might be digging through the sand so it benefits them to have their mouth closer to where the prey is i i guess the the other effectiveness is that and we'll get into it with the behavior but i i think what most people would recognize the scalloped hammerhead specifically um that differentiates it from other hammerheads is if you ever see those pictures where there's like hundreds of hammerheads all schooling together that's a scalloped hammerhead they're the only hammerheads to do that Oh. Um, and there are, there are other hammerheads that will make like small schools or like might like traveling groups of like five to 10, but scalloped hammerheads will create these huge schools or in a shark's case, it's called a, a shiver, <gasps> uh, which I think is the cutest thing in the world. It is. Yeah. It's, I it's, love that. Sharks are called shivers. Uh, and I, I love that. But so they will create these uh, these shivers of like hundreds of sharks. And uh, one, one of the uh, ways that they, they have this many sharks is that uh, scalloped hammerhead sharks produce like unusually large litters or uh, like a lot of babies or pups. And their mechanism is pretty interesting as well uh, with the uh, whether they're viviparous or oviparous. They're ovoviviparous, I believe the word is, which is Mm. where they have eggs inside them and then the eggs hatch inside them and then they give live birth. I like this idea. This is a good this is a good strategy, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I remember what the thing I wanted to ask you a minute ago because you mentioned their skin teeth, um, which mm-hmm. we've talked about on a couple of episodes about sharks, that sharks have these denticles with a D, not with a T, all over their body. What I wanted to ask you was, have you touched a hammerhead shark ever? Oh, gosh. Uh, not not a hammerhead. I've touched bonnet heads. Mm. I, I have not been lucky enough to touch uh, <laughs> hammerheads. And that's like, that's also kind of like... um. I imagine you're not supposed to, probably. Yeah, I'll try not to go into too much of a tangent, but I feel it needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, any any professional in the field, I'm not a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I like sharks. I know a lot about them, and I've worked with a lot of species of sharks. I wouldn't call myself a professional. I do not have a doctorate. But most people who like study these animals will tell you, hey, don't go touch or interact with these super dangerous predators not because they'll attack you, but also they have the possibility to. Like, you're not going to go, like, out into the jungle and go pet a tiger. So don't do it with a shark. And lately there's been, I'm, I'm not going to name a name, but there's <laughs> been, like, a person or two. And what they're doing, their goal is good. They're trying to normalize sharks and have people be less afraid of sharks by showing that they're not super like angry or vicious and that they don't come after people. Most sharks aren't going to come after you because they don't like how we taste. I can, I can go in later if you want to talk about why sharks, why shark attacks happen. But so this person, the way they go and show that sharks are like these, you know, gentle creatures that aren't after humans is they go, they swim up to these great white sharks. And then they grab under their fin and they ride on them. That's not great. No, you should not do that. And it's this person's like, oh, I have a lot of experience with these sharks and that's why I do it. But there's a plethora of reasons why you shouldn't do that. You know, one of the main ones being that, you know, if that shark decided to, it could kill you. It's most likely not going to because sharks really don't care about us. Uh, The other thing is that you don't really want to normalize yourself with predators like this because that's how these sharks become used to people being around them and people interacting with them. And that can actually endanger these animals um, because if they're normalized against people, you know, not everyone's going to go up to the shark and be like, oh, my gosh, it's a shark. I want to pet it and I want to ride on it. And, you know, it's just this gentle creature. Some people will see that shark and go, oh, my gosh, that thing's going to, you know, attack me. I have to defend myself when in reality, the shark might just be normalized to people and go, oh, when I go near these people, they interact with me. And then it doesn't end well for the shark. There's many reasons why you shouldn't interact with giant uh, dangerous predators it's also rude yeah oh absolutely it's their personal space like it's it's like that with most wild animals like just like leave them be observe them from a distance admire them from a distance you don't need to ride on animals if they're not you know animals that are like in captivity that are used to people leave them alone observe them from a distance enjoy them but like you don't need to get physical with them Yeah, and especially with sharks, something that I didn't know until actually Christian was the person who first got me to touch a shark for the first time ever. Uh, They're not soft. They don't feel great to touch. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's actually very, because most people, I find that because I I work a lot with reptiles as well. I, I work with a lot of snakes. And it's it's like a this two way street where people think sharks are smooth and people think snakes are like super coarse and scaly and like rough. 
oh, it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, it's the other way around. Most snakes are really smooth and soft, and most people are surprised by that. There are snakes that have scales called keeled scales, which do kind of have more of a texture that you're thinking of when you think of a snake texture, but most snakes are more soft than they are keeled, um, whereas sharks uh, feel like sandpaper. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel good. Like, you don't want to mm -hmm. get up on it and have that. <laughs> you don't want to have, like, essentially a wet sandpaper in your bathing suit area. So yeah. you might want to skip riding the shark. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, held, I've held mini sharks, um, which, again, I, I have to go into. It was with sharks that I would, like, individual sharks that I was experienced with that were in a captive environment. And I was aware of the risks. And I was doing it for education. And it was always like in a way where if the shark was uncomfortable and wanted to leave, it had like absolutely the power to do so. Like you never like grip an animal. Um, like it was always like the the few sharks I've handled have been like I handled an epaulet shark, a leopard shark. I handled the leopard shark. Um, yeah, no, I think those are the only two. Um, I've handled a lot of rays because uh, rays are real gentle and even open to being like handled. And sharks are like more like indifferent to it i i picked them up basically it was uh shark week a year ago at the aquarium i was working at and i was doing a big talk on sharks and like their ventricles on the uh, the outside of their body and how they feel like sandpaper and so there were a bunch of little kids there and we were doing like a little interaction where they could touch the sharks um and so i was handling the shark and uh you know i was just like gently holding it like i didn't even have like my fingers around it i was just like it was resting on my hand after a minute the shark was like you know what peace i'm done with this i'm out and so i'm away and that's you know that's how you handle these you know animals you never want to like not give them the opportunity to act how they want to act yeah, I probably should have mentioned that, that the only time I've ever touched a shark was a bonnethead shark that was dead. <laughs> it was <laughs> it had been caught by fishers, what well, we think at least, um, just based on context. We were at the beach in the middle of the night, and we found this bonnethead shark on the sand, and there was like fishing line around it, so we're pretty sure it was just like Ooh. a fisher caught it and maybe just kind of left it there. That might have been, I don't know, I don't want to say for sure. It might have been caught, but if it had fishing line like wrapped around it, that to me sounds like uh, that was a pollution issue. It may have been. I don't, it was years ago, so I don't remember the details. I just remember that was the guess we came to at the time. But uh, so the, the bonnet head was, was on the sand and was dead. And so, you know, that was the only reason we even approached it was because it was, mm -hmm. you know, already dead and not going to uh, be flopping around or, or in any sort of distress. And it was actually kind of funny because we were out there and you know, I was not too keen on touching it. And Christian was like, have you ever felt a shark before? I said, no, what does it feel like? And he was like, I'm not going to tell you because <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to tell you because I want you to touch it so that you can find out what it feels like without me having to tell you. And I, I was like, ew, no, that's gross. I'm not going to touch a shark. But then I got really curious and I was like, okay, fine, give it here. <laughs> and so I did. And it did feel like it does. It's not what you expect when you look at them because they look like so smooth and they they look like they would feel like rubber but they they really don't uh, they do not at all they uh they their skin is very coarse but that like is so that they swim faster right like it helps them swim through the water very like streamlined and i don't know the physics behind it <laughs> I, gosh there's so much to talk about when it's like yeah it, it certainly helps them swim faster it also acts as kind of like a bit of armor um because sharks uh, a lot of sharks tend to bite each other um especially through like reproduction 
So when sharks are mating, typically they'll bite onto each other to stay latched together. And so they kind of need that like bit of armor to help with that. And also, you know, sharks, while still being predators, a lot of sharks also have other predators as well. Even hammerheads? I feel like hammerheads are pretty big, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Hammerheads range in size. Scalloped hammerheads can get to, I, I believe, there, there's some sexual dimorphism that goes on, which uh, sexual dimorphism is just like males and females vary in size. So males can get from 7 to 11 feet long, and females can get from like 9 to like 11 and a half feet long. But for the most part, females are almost always bigger. They're not playing around, huh? No, 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 no. <laughs> they're uh, sharks, sharks are big they're predators but like uh the great white shark for example like huge predator like everyone knows the great white shark but like those sharks can even be predated by other sharks or for example the uh psychopaths of the ocean killer whales <laughs> uh I love orcas. They were my favorite animal all the way up until college, which is when I fell in love with sharks. But if you pretend that they aren't psychopaths uh, when they're in the ocean, uh, you're wrong. They will step to literally anybody for any reason at any time. They are ready to throw down 24-7. Yeah, they, they do this thing. It's been recorded a couple times. I don't know if you can find it on the internet, but there have been instances that have been seen by scientists. They do this attack. It's, it's called like torpedoing, where they'll swim at such a high speed at a prey specific or like a shark that they'll just swim right through them and cut them in half. Ugh. They're so mean. Yeah, yeah they, they can be pretty uh, brutal. Um, incredibly interesting creatures. So I, I think they're so cool, especially with like their behaviors. There's something that I was really interested in when I got into behavioral ecology was how you can argue that killer whales and most whale pods and dolphin pods exhibit culture because when pods of these whales get together and they form like a dialect that is these calls that are only known to their pod and they'll meet up with other pods and there's almost like this confusion like they don't know how to speak to each other there's a little bit of a language barrier yeah exactly and with orcas like it goes even further because they have all these a lot of people kind of take into calling it like orcas play with their food You'll see these videos of orcas constantly knocking seals into the water, letting the seal get back up on the ice, and then doing it again. Jerks. They're so rude. <laughs> what they're actually doing there is that they're teaching the young in their pod the hunting styles that that pod specifically has perfected. So they teach it. It's like this lineage thing. It teaches down the generations, and each of them learn. And you go to each pod, and they have different hunting styles along with these different languages and we're getting to the point where this is starting to sound like with humans what we would call like a culture so it wouldn't necessarily be like you can take any old orca whale and just put it in any old pod yeah there have been instances of killer whales like being like inducted into other pods and like being able to add on to that family but yeah there's a lot of like generational like these pods stick together through the generations and they have these ways that they hunt and they travel together and talk to each other and it like even though they're part of the same species it makes them distinct from other pods and makes them different 
this reminds me of something that you said earlier that I wanted to bring up in the ingenuity section. So I think this is a good transition into the ingenuity section for the hammerhead shark. So ingenuity is our second category that we review our animals on. This is behavioral adaptations that let an animal compete, basically just be really good at the things they're trying to do. Maybe these are strategies that they use or just behaviors that they use to do good jobs of things. So first of all, what would you give the scalloped hammerhead for ingenuity out of 10? Oh, I, I'd say out of hammerheads, like, and again, they all fill their niches. So I, I got to go 10 out of 10. They, they do what they do so well. And they have these, you know, behaviors that make them distinct from other hammerheads because great hammerheads are super big. They're like 20 feet long. And that's what really helps them get the large prey that they're looking for. And they're pretty solitary too. Whereas with the scalloped hammerhead, they do the schooling thing. Before I go into schooling, which is a big thing, I'll talk about like their other behaviors just with like hammerheads in general. So they have, again, the big cephalofoil and they do like when you see people on the beach, like, you know, they've got that like metal detector and they're sweeping out in front of them uh, looking to find anything. Hammerheads do the same thing. They swim close to the ground and they sway their head back and forth so that they can pick up anything through that ampulla of Lorenzini. And this allows them to like cover this wider range, even with the cephalofoil being super wide. And when they find something, they'll like slam the cephalofoil down onto the sand and like pin the thing down into the ground. And then with their mouth being on the bottom side of their head, like we talked about, uh, that'll allow them to more quickly go after it and eat it. Okay. Those behaviors mixed together really helps it. And again, their eyes giving them that huge range of vision and the lateral line allowing them to like detect movement. It all comes together to create this like perfect hunting behavior that allows them to find their prey. When they're schooling together, is that meant to help them hunt or is that meant to help them not be eaten by larger things? So that's the funny part about schooling and this is just science as a whole um and why like you know the ocean needs to be explored more the reason i want to go into behavioral ecology and why these scallop hammerheads are my favorite animals is because they school like this and i would at some point in my life i would love to study them out in like the wild like around the galapagos or something like that because we don't yet completely understand why they school like this it's been shown that like they they hunt a lot together in these bigger packs and they can actually like get prey out by all hunting together and uh, of course it's a defense mechanism if they were to have larger predators come in looking for them they're not going to tangle with a hundred hammerhead sharks but we don't completely understand it and there's even more confusing parts of it so you'll have these like hundreds of hammerhead sharks swimming all together and scientists have found this variation of like ages and it travels downwards. So like typically towards the bottom of the school, like closer to like the area where they're hunting, you'll have these older hammerhead sharks and the younger hammerhead sharks will be towards more towards the surface, towards the top of the school. And you can make like some inferences, like perhaps the older ones like know how to hunt better and maybe they're teaching even or maybe they're helping bring out these prey specifics that would allow the uh younger ones to go in and get some food as well but currently we don't know for sure not enough tests have been done or maybe they're being done right now i, I try to keep a watch on like this topic specifically because like i want to study it 
Um, but within the last month, I still haven't heard anything about people like finding something like definite about it. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. Oh, I love that. I would be so excited to hear like anything new that would come out about that. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it seems so different from what you hear about with other sharks. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that they're called a shiver. Is that I don't know if if this is the sort of thing that you know, but this is the sort of thing that popped into my head. Is that the origin of the phrase shiver me timbers? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I don't either, but that sounds right, right? Yeah, like, I, I that's don't know. That's a pirate know. thing? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's part of the thing with like animals. It's like I, I went in like to college just thinking like, oh, yeah, it's called like schools or groups or flocks. And then you find out like every animal like group has like <laughs> its own name for like a group of animals. Um, so like with fish, it's like a school with sharks. It's a shiver. Um, I should have more examples if I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> I know. So we just when we talked about the piranhas, we talked about shoals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I get that. Yeah, but it's just like, I don't know. There's like all these little things you learn about, like just animals. Like, I don't know if it's just scientists being goofy because like, (laughs) I don't know, scientists are portrayed a lot in media as either being like Doc Ock evil or (laughs) just like goofy shut-ins that don't know how to talk to people. And it's like my girlfriend and I just last night, we were like talking about like, gosh, we should make a podcast where we watch a movie and just talk about how that movie misrepresents how science works. Because we, we were watching, she hadn't seen the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. And we were watching Spider-Man 1 last night. And there's the scene where Peter Parker gets bit by the spider. And they're in this lab, I guess. <laughs> and apparently they're on a high school field trip. And there's just like these little containers with these apparently genetically modified spiders and they're on like rolling carts and they're just all over the labs in no distinctive place. There's no labels on them. And also there's just a giant electron microscope in the center of the room and you're bringing high schoolers in here. You know, as you do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, that's not lab etiquette. What are you doing? (laughs) Where are your closed-toed shoes? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. Or or like the third one, they're like in this lab setting and like all the women in the lab just like, again, it's early 2000s. I guess that's how, you know, that's how Hollywood portrays, you know, women in science, sadly. Um, But they've all got like their hair down and like these like low-cut blouses and it's like, (laughs) That would never, you would never be able to walk into a lab looking like that. Girl, where is your PPE? What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think that anybody whose idea of scientists is as like stuffy and humorless, which I get that that perception has been <laughs> shaped by very out of touch media portrayals. But yeah. I think that anybody who has that sort of idea in their head still needs to learn about the sonic hedgehog gene. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's another one isn't there like pikachu there's like a pikachu gene i think oh, there's like, i don't know about that one i know there's a gene that they named after sonic the hedgehog and mm. i came across it by accident while i was like reading a research paper while i was researching for some other episode and i was reading it and in the middle of it it said like blah 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 sonic hedgehog and i was like hold on a second why is sonic the hedgehog being referenced in this research paper yeah i uh i i found more times than not most scientists that i meet are pretty like goofy uh centered like i me specifically i know i'm a goofball um (laughs) 
Uh, and a lot of my like favorite professors are just like super like down to earth and like we like get along really well because they're just as like goofy and they make like lots of memes just like I do. Something that science uh, and biologists have been really trying to do as of late is this idea of psychom or science communication because uh, one of the biggest issues within science I'd argue is that you'll get all these people we spend like you know upwards of like 12 years getting like a doctorate or something like that and then you know you go out there and you learn all this stuff but you don't find a way to actually teach the public about that because, you know, you go in there and I start talking about like the hyomandibular cephalofoil ampulla of Lorenzini. And if I don't explain what that is, anyone who doesn't know what that is is going to be like, what? Hold on. Why is that word so big? And it's it's been such a problem. And more people are moving into the actual idea of like how to communicate science to people who aren't exactly scientists and, you know, explain this stuff in like a way that's good for both sides. You know, you don't want to treat people like they're not intelligent. They just, you know, don't know what you've been working on for the last 10 years. And you want to be able to tell them about it. And there's been a lot of work going into that. And a lot of scientists and social media definitely like are more open to the public now. And it's, it's been like this big like flush out where people are just like more embracing of like teaching people like uh, Dr. Schiffman, for example, um, why sharks matter on twitter he's probably i want to say the biggest like shark biologist that's like twitter like pretty big on twitter and a couple of years ago he doesn't do them as much now because he has such a big following but he would on his way to work he would do like shark uh amas or ask me anything like while he was riding the bus to work and he would do that like twice a week and i remember i was like always up for that always asking questions I watched one with my kiddo. I have a six-year-old and the those little like interactions like that, like where scientists will hop on like a live, like a live video on Twitter or on Facebook and just like, you know, take questions or just talk randomly um, to like directly to people, you know, not just through a, you know, through a journal or through a produced like big media production, you know, it, it gives you the chance to kind of get on there and be like, oh, hey, I have this idea about this thing. Maybe I could ask the scientist while he's here. You know, I hopped on there with my six-year-old and we watched and and my six-year-old had a little question. He said, why do sharks have so many teeth? So I was like, let's ask the guy. <laughs> so I put it in the in the uh, question field and he answered my six-year-old's question on his video and my kiddo was so excited about it. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's nice to have those interactions like one-on-one and scientists have been working on that a lot to be like widen the field and make sure that there's you know people know about who to ask what questions to and like dr uh catherine mcdonald like right now she's doing like awesome things on twitter right now where she's just like boosting up uh women uh in science in the field especially around sharks and that's just like super cool to see like i've found so many like scientists i didn't know about until you know some of these people like shout them out and do stuff like that and they talk about so many cool things that i didn't know about and you can you can learn the science like directly from the scientist and not from mike tyson punching a shark yeah oh god i'm <laughs> gonna get into shark week is that what we're gonna talk about so when we're recording this right now we are fresh <laughs> off of shark week shark week for us right now was last week but when this comes out we will be probably cooled off from shark week but right now it's Ooh. it's the the wounds are still raw oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i i i did not even watch shark week this year i was like i was like you know what i'm not even gonna i'm not 
I'm not going to do it. I've heard what was going on through Twitter. I, I'm someone I grew up. I loved Shark Week on Discovery Channel. I thought it was so cool. Um, and back when I was a kid, a lot of it was educational. There were a lot of like, it was back in those like best years of when it was like, you know, the crocodile hunter, like he, he would go out there, show you these animals and still be super respectful about them. And Discovery Channel and Shark Week was a lot like that too. Discovery Channel lately... If anyone watches, I think Discovery Channel also like normally now has like shows about like aliens and Bigfoot, which like <laughs> that's cool if you want to have shows like that. But that just seems like weird to me for like Discovery Channel, like which I always as a kid, like considered like a science channel and like tried to talk about like natural science. And then suddenly there's like alien shows, which like that's cool. But that sounds more like a sci fi thing to me. If you like those shows, go for it, my dude. But that like has kind of like merged over into shark week shark week has become this like a nationalized like they to to get views of course they play off of people's fears of sharks and that's not exactly like constructive for sharks that actually hurts them and what they'll do is they'll have all these like sensationalized you know footage of like sharks like attacking people or they'll have like the the classic hollywood violin build up as a shark is just <laughs> swimming by but they add this like aura of dread to it just through like sound editing and video editing they they've even like screwed over some scientists like um dr Schiffman talks about uh, talked about this on twitter how they interviewed a bunch of scientists for a documentary i'm doing air quotes here uh, <laughs> and then took that like video footage and like cut it up and used it in a way that was out of context that made like sharks as if they're these awful predators that go after human like if, if you were to go back like in this uh podcast and cut out the part where i'm talking about like hey don't touch sharks they're predators and can kill you and you take just that and then you post <laughs> online and, well ryan hegseth said that sharks <laughs> are predators and they'll kill you like it's taking it out of context and that's what they did to a bunch of these scientists and then they use it in these sensationalized videos and it's it's not helping sharks it's not teaching people about sharks it's sensationalizing the fear and it's making more people scared of sharks or more it's it's not teaching them because like i found that the more in my experience at least the more i learn about a thing the less scary it is that's kind of my work is like a educator at like zoos and at my uh, college working with like kids it's like I, I work with a lot of animals that people are typically like scared of like sharks for example and rays like working with those animals to teach kids that hey they're not out to get you or like i work with snakes a lot like i have two pet snakes my dad hates snakes um but he has he's grown more like okay with them i think that's like when you're like you know showing these animals to people it's important not to like shove them in their face and be like wow look at this animal like see it's not scary like you need to be like gentle about it especially for the animal and for the person like i know like as a kid i was scared of sharks and i i thought they were pretty scary like i saw jaws and that's kind of where the whole like shark fear started and a lot why their populations are struggling right now uh, is because they're not these charismatic uh, megafauna species. But by learning about them through Shark Week when I was a kid and then going to college, I grew to love them. And here I am talking about hammerhead sharks and why they're <laughs> my favorite animal. Yeah. And, and something that I was trying to talk about recently was like the idea of using sort of gateway animals like say if uh, you have maybe you're scared of snakes 
maybe look at some really cute snakes. <laughs> like, you know, don't 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 necessarily jump in with the with the kind of the scarier looking ones. You know, maybe you don't need to start off with I don't know, like a, a gaboon viper or whatever. Maybe start with like a hog nose or a little like because they got the little smile. Yes. Like start with a ball python because they're soft yeah. and look like a puppy. So like start with a cute one. <laughs> Just my little uh, my little baby boy. Uh, his name's Bud. Burger. Um, he's a little baby ball python and he's just a sweetheart. And I use him when I'm like introducing people to snakes. And then if they want to go further, then I'll take out my much bigger corn snake, uh, milkshake. That's the best name for a corn snake. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. She's a, she's an all, uh, a white albino corn snake. So she just, the name fit. Uh, that's how I name most of my pets. I have an axolotl named Mochi. And it's just like, I don't know if I'll ever stop naming pets after food. I think it's funny. <laughs> best possible name. <laughs> but education is important. And back to Shark Week is the fact that it's almost having this like negative effect, hyping them up to be these super powerful predators, which they are. But uh, sharks don't come after people. We don't taste good. Uh, they're looking for fatty meals because it's all about energy. When they expend energy to attack someone, they want to get more energy back. That's just how eating works. So they're not going to come after you at the beach. But when, when a shark attacks someone, it's typically surfers, uh, especially if you're thinking of great white sharks. And that's because um, the way great white sharks hunt is they swim pretty low and then they'll look up for silhouettes of their main prey specific, uh, which are seals. And so seals and surfers laying down on their boards have very, very similar silhouettes. Um, so what they'll do is they'll do this breach attack where they'll swim up and then bite. And typically they grab their prey, except when they bite a human or a surfboard, they go, yuck, that doesn't taste good. That doesn't taste like my prey. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go waste my energy on actually getting food, um, <laughs> which is why there are so many shark attacks and not many shark deaths. Not saying shark deaths can't happen. They can. But typically a shark isn't going to go blood crazy like they're shown in the movies when they, you know, smell human blood. They're going to go, oh, that doesn't, that's not my prey. I'm not going to eat that. There are certain sharks I personally wouldn't tangle with in the ocean. Like if you threw me with like uh, uh oceanic white tip shark, I, I wouldn't swim with those because those probably will go after you because they, <laughs> uh, you know, they're looking for anything out in the middle of the ocean. But most sharks on beaches aren't going to go after you. And something that we've talked about, not only with um, Dr. McDonald, but also with Jasmine Graham um, is that, you know, if you're in the water, around sharks they know you're there like <laughs> they know that you're there and they're purposefully not bothering you they're not bothering yeah. you because they don't want to not because they don't yeah. see you just because they don't care about you yeah that's oh god that's like one of my biggest pet peeves i joke about it on twitter all the time like people are like oh my gosh shark infested water sharks are at the beach it's like homie that's where they live <laughs> you're the one who pulled up at the beach my dude <laughs> you think they just weren't gonna be in the water they've been there longer than any of us yeah, that's the front lawn my guy <laughs> well you know i i share your sentiment in having like being rooted in a fear of sharks and then having to overcome it through education you know which i think is probably a pretty common experience for people who have grown up particularly with movies and all sorts of various media that I feel like only just within the last couple of years has started to be a little more shark friendly. But I do think that there is something to be said for the aesthetic value of sharks. <laughs> I do oh, think yes. that they're 
you, so aesthetics is another one of the categories that we rate our animals on. Uh, what would you give the scalloped hammerhead for aesthetics? I personally, I think they're super cute. The scalloped hammerheads, they have these little like bumpy ridges on the front of their cephalofoil, which differentiates them in look from other hammerheads. I think it's really cute. I would give them like a, like a 10 out of 10. I, I think they're really cute. I understand why people might look at sharks and go, that's pretty scary. You know, they have all the teeth. They're really powerfully built. I think the hammerhead is like a nice happy medium between like if you're terrified of great white sharks. I, I feel like the hammerhead is just like just a little too goofy looking to <laughs> be super scary in my opinion. I think the scariest looking shark is definitely the goblin shark, which I'm in love Oof. with. But terrifying looking uh we're we're running low on time, so I won't go into the hyomandibula, <laughs> but it's just such a cool <laughs> instance of explaining the jawbones of sharks and fishes because it's just so pronounced in the goblin shark. Yeah, we did a, a very, very, very early episode on goblin sharks. I think Christian talked about goblin sharks. Mm-hmm. Very strange dudes. I, of course, when you get that deep into the water, it's going to get funky down there. Everything's strange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but hammerheads, I feel like hammerheads don't have that intimidation factor. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's a friend. They're shaped like a friend. They have that, like, they don't have that pointy <laughs> nose that I think sets people off about sharks. They just kind of look a little, and, and with the mouth being on the bottom, it doesn't make you feel like, oh, yeah, it could just snap me right up. You know, you feel like, oh, okay, yeah. if I'm not underneath it, which, like you said, they swim at the bottom, so you're not likely to be underneath it yeah. anyway. So not not as much of an intimidation factor as other sharks, but yeah, they're they're real cute. They got that big wide face. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of them. I think they're I think they're just adorable. Doesn't mean you can't think they're scary looking, but I would absolutely give their aesthetic ten out of ten. I can see that definitely. Good call. <laughs> so before we uh, wrap up for today, I want to give you uh, just kind of a chance to let people know, you know, where they can find you, where they can connect with you, what kind of stuff you're working on now. Just like anything that you want our friends to know about what you're up to. Well, uh, right now we're in the uh, midst of COVID right now, so I'm uh, I'm still uh, looking for a job. I have one lined up, so looking forward to getting back into that. If you want to keep in touch with me, I tweet a lot about uh, science stuff, and I'll I also talk about Dungeons and Dragons a lot because I'm a big nerd. If that hasn't come across already, <laughs> um, so if you want to follow someone who tweets about sharks, right? I tweet about most things in the ocean, um, and then also makes Dungeons and Dragons jokes. You can uh, find me uh, at Ryan Hegseth on Twitter. Then if you want to follow my photography, I do a lot of portraitures of animals out in the wild. So I do like a lot of nature photography. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Ryan underscore Hegseth. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. We took a lot of twists and turns, um, but I think that's where the fun comes in, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place as a person, so I, I know I went on tangents. It's okay. I have no impulse control. So like when one thought comes mm-hmm. up, that's just where we're going. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. I'm the same way. But yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Thank you. We will catch up with you later. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.